You are listening to the INCJ podcast, conversations about international criminal justice. My name is Charlie Brooker, and I am the Professor of Mental Health and Criminal Justice at Royal Holloway, that's the University of London. And I'm here today with Coral, and I'm here today with Jerry, and they're going to introduce themselves. Coral? Yeah, so hi, I'm Dr. Coral Surdyfield, and I'm a Senior Research Associate at the University of Lincoln. Thank you, Coral. Uh, I'm Jerry McNally. I'm Assistant Director in the Irish Probation Service, uh, where I look after research projects and policy developments. I'm former president of the Confederation of European Probation, and I currently member of the research group in uh, the, in the Confederation of European Probation. And again, I've had a long involvement with the mental health issue in probation, both in Europe and at home in Ireland. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. Um, we're going to be looking at today very specifically, although I'm sure the discussion will lurch in a number of different directions. Ostensibly, we're looking at probation staff and their knowledge of or attitudes to uh, mental illness. And this is something that's been of enormous interest for a number of years now for us. Um, Coral and I particularly working together, we published a paper on this in 2010 looking at implementing a training programme across the Trent region in England. Um, and uh, there's been more recent developments that we'd like to sort of talk through, really. Um, we've only got a few slides to share with you. I mean, one of the first questions is, why is it important that probation staff know anything at all about mental illness and attitude to mental illness? And um, if you look at the first slide we've got here, um, which Rob Rob is going to put up for us. You'll see that one of the reasons is it is so overwhelmingly prevalent, uh, mental illness probation. And of course, the same is true in prison and to some extent in police stations as well. And as we heard with the first presentation across the criminal justice system, but I think it's worth reflecting on this data a little, particularly in terms of psychotic disorder. So overall, the prevalence um, of uh, any current disorder is nearly 40%, which means that, you know, if you've got a caseload of 60 people, 24 of them on that caseload will have a mental illness, and half of those will have a serious mental illness. So it is quite an important topic in terms of the way it presents itself, and it's been in a lot of people's minds, mental illness. Uh, I'm going to go to Coral now because she's going to talk uh, a little bit about um, the thematic review that took place in England. Coral? Yeah, sure. So there's, there's been some recent work, um, a sort of joint inspectorate thematic review around mental health across the whole of the criminal justice pathway. So that was a um, you know a really big important piece of work that we were really pleased to see happening. And basically, the inspectors were looking at the whole of the criminal justice pathway. So following people 
all the way from the point of arrest through, you know, police, prisons, probation, courts, all the different stages, and also interviewing professionals working within each of those settings to kind of unpick how do we work with people with mental illness in the criminal justice system, what's working well, what isn't working so well, what are the main kind of areas for improvement, you know, where have we got pockets of good practice, all of that kind of stuff. So it's a really, really big, impressive piece of work, really, which I would recommend for anyone to read if they're not aware of it. Um, but some of the recommendations from that are relevant for what we're talking about today because they did focus on the need for training. Um, and when they looked at training across the system, it was quite variable. So for prison officers, all new prison officers should receive some training around mental illness at their induction. But then the inspectors found that there was a need for kind of follow on continuing professional development, you know, to keep that training up to date and, you know, provide kind of refreshers for people. Um, In terms of the police, they found that most police forces do have e-training available to them. Um, So that was positive. And also some forces were doing some really good examples of face-to-face training. All liaison and diversion services had relevant training. But in terms of probation, I think it was kind of more of a mixed picture in that there was training available to staff through the quit, um, but still uh, 70% of practitioners said that they didn't have access to effective mental health learning. Um, The report suggests that perhaps the reason for that was because the training that was available to them was seen as a bit too simplistic. Um, And one of the the kind of findings that really jumped out to me from the report was the idea that often practitioners were sharing with the inspectors the idea that they kind of regularly come into contact with people with mental health concerns um, that they don't necessarily feel qualified to work with. So there's kind of a clear need there really to improve training in that area because, you know, as Charlie's just shown through the prevalence figures, it's, it's kind of the bread and butter, if you like, of um, probation practitioners' work. You know, they will regularly have contacts with people that have a mental illness um, and they have a role to play there in terms of supporting people to be able to access appropriate services. Um, and also, of course, to consider that within any sentencing recommendations as well. And Jerry, I know you've been doing some work in Ireland around this. Yeah, I think that's the point I would follow on from what you're saying, Carl. In my experience, I've been over 40 years as a probation officer in Ireland, and I think I'd know at, there's no point at, throughout that entire period that I would say that mental health hasn't been an issue for probation officers because it's an everyday experience for probation officers to meet people at various levels of upset and distress and whether it, it, at the extreme level or at the more moderate level. And just to echo Charlie's uh, findings there, our most recent study conducted in 2019 by Dr. Christina Power over a series of um, uh, projects in Ireland it echoes the same level of findings that, for example, over 43% of persons on supervision in the sample in Ireland had a 
active had experienced active symptoms of mental illness and mental health problems and particularly this was an issue for female uh, people on probation so i think that there's a, a very clear perspective there because that's over twice and over two and almost two and a half times the national average of 18.5 percent so you can see that the the people on probation are at a particularly distressed level and a particularly marginalized level and another point that follows on from was that uh, of that 43 percent 30 percent were engaged with the services but that meant that there was a big gap there that there were people with clear mental health issues and histories but who were not fully engaged with the services and i think that's where you really need to look at uh, how do we actually join up the services and that comes back to your point carl about the training and preparation for probation officers uh, in ireland um, and in most jurisdictions and as had been in england and wales many years ago the background for social work for probation officers was merely a social work training or psychology or something similar the issue there was that to what extent was mental health included as a core curriculum within that and to what extent was training provided and i think that's what Charlie's more recent um, studies have kind of helped to point uh, point up the questions about, but certainly mental health is a core issue for probation officers in practice. Uh, wearing my other European hat, I think that point is shared right across Europe, and I'm sure Charlie will talk a little bit in due course about his more recent study looking at the level of. Uh, training and competence among probation officers in Europe, because I do think the incidence among people on probation is fairly standard and common, if not higher in some jurisdictions. But I think the skills and competencies is something that certainly, because we need to look at how do we cope with it, but also how do we engage with the other services to deliver the best outcomes for the people on probation? Yeah, thanks, Jerry. I mean, it's, 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 not difficult to start to feel in comparison to the prison service, for example, that probation is marginalized in some way in relation to this topic. And the reason I say that is if you look at the recent Council of Europe survey that was undertaken for the white paper and its recommendations, which are uh, out to the public now, um, on almost every dimension, it's so much better in prison. So, for example, take training in mental health. 74% of prison officers get offered training. 37% probation staff do. 95% of countries have a policy mental health prison. And something like 25% have a policy um, for, for probation around mental health. Uh, suicide is monitored very closely, and there are usually policies and strategies to address that in prison. In very few countries across Europe, is suicide monitored, or is there some kind of suicide action plan in place? And I have to say, you know, of all the events that have most moved me, I remember when we just finished the prevalence study poll, and we were presenting in Lincolnshire, do you remember this? There was a probation officer who stood up and said she was trying to deal with a suicidal woman on a Friday afternoon um, who was highly distressed. 
and was crying as she gave a sort of testimony about that event, what she couldn't do, what she didn't know how to do, how helpless she felt. It stayed with me a long time, that, that particular scenario. And um, I think it's not just across Europe. I mean, if you look at the recent IACFP uh, report, I don't know if you can see it there. That's the um, International Association for Correctional and Forensic Psychology. They have surveyed probation across the world, including Japan, including um, Singapore, including many European countries. It's a, a very broad sample. And 55% of the people that they sent uh, a questionnaire to said they didn't feel mental health training was adequate. So, you know, it's a pretty poor picture, one has to say, um, across the world. I don't know if either of you want to come in again on that. Yeah, just to echo that a little bit, Charlie, because I think that is similar to the findings that we had in Dr. Power's study in Ireland, because we identified three key issues. One was a fairly obvious one, that there is a, a significant level of unmet psychological and psychiatric needs among persons on supervision. But secondly, there's a need to strengthen the knowledge and develop the skills-based training for probation officers. So we need to help them to recognize what mental health issues are and when identified, to identify the appropriate services that to be working with. So it's that kind of upskilling. But also, the third thing that was probably the most thing is about integrating the service. There's a need to improve and strengthen the engagement and with mainstream services. So in other words, we need to create more joined up services. This is not about creating another parallel service that works independently of each other. We have to we have to really avoid the silo, the silos approach. And we do have to create a much more joined up service between the criminal justice system in custody, out of custody, this mental health services and have them all, uh, the mental health services in the community, but have them all working together and having a kind of an open conversation and sharing of information, but mutual support for the benefit of the people. Because this is part of the, the need for, this is why we need probation officers to be able to recognise and address, but also to be able to link and engage and support people through the system. So that's my little uh, contribution on that one. That's the current one. And again, as you say, Charlie, it's not in any one jurisdiction, it's across the board. I mean, I think one of the side problems with that in England, and from listening to the first presentation um I think it's also possibly true this in Australia and the United States and maybe in other countries. Um, one would like, ideally, a probation officer to be able to recognise what sort of mental health problem someone has and where the best service might be to refer them to. But that is problematic for many people in the general population already because of the lack of investment in mental health services. I mean, there's a stark example in the thematic review. Um, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Coral. Do you want to remind us? No, go on, me say. I'm not sure. Okay, Which well, one you mean? somebody came out of prison, into probation, had a serious mental illness, and was referred to a community mental health team and told there was a two-year wait. Mm. Remember this one? Yeah, I do know. And yeah. And 
the judge recalled that person to court, sent them back to prison because he felt without treatment they weren't safe. Um, so, you know, is this really the way that we're organising that cooperation between mental health services and uh, the criminal justice system? Because if we are, it, it strikes me it's dire. Mm. And I think some of that comes back to the, the kind of understanding of the needs of people on probation as well. You know, I know when we've looked at like joint strategic needs assessments across England and Wales, which are you know conducted to inform local commissioning decisions, um, it's not very often that the needs of people on probation are considered within those. You know, even though the guidance would say that they ought to be, and the you know criminal justice agencies should be represented on the local health and wellbeing boards, that's not always the case. You know, and I think there's a real need to kind of evidence what health and social care needs or, you know, in this instance, what mental health needs people on probation have. So that that can then be shared back with commissioners um, to kind of close that circle, because at the moment we don't have the right services to meet people's needs, you know, and certainly not to meet them in a timely manner. Um, but it's a bit chicken and egg, you know, we, we kind of need to gather that evidence to start with to be able to then know which services to fund. That's so a big of, piece of work to be done there, I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, that's why I'm very envious of Ireland, because yeah. um, Ireland, you, you actually produce policy at a national level. Uh, in terms of integrating services, didn't you, Joe? Yeah, and I think that's that's been the ambition of the mental health policies for many years. We have a, a policy going back many years now called Vision for Change, and then we have Vision for Change Updated, which is very much built on the notion of integrated services, coordinated services. The difficulty is translating that into reality on the ground, uh, having the right resources in the right place. But I do think the particular challenge for us, and I know it's for, it happens in every other jurisdictions as well, is about bringing the criminal justice system into that mental health. Because there's, a, and I, his, I'm doubtful to say, I'm cautious about saying it, but there is a certain uh, reluctance to engage with what's described as forensic because uh, psychology or forensic mental health because they're seen uh, that's seen as more dangerous as more threatening whereas in reality i think what we would highlight and emphasize is that people on probation or people in prison are people and in the first instance and are entitled to and need the support of the mental health service in the same way and present with many of the same issues and and uh, and concerns and I think it's about that idea of integrating rather than separating and it's about that idea about ensuring access to services because distressed people need help and they're at risk without that help whether they're in the criminal justice system or whether they're not and I think that applies to not just to, the to homeless to uh, mental health but also to homelessness to education to access to everything else it's, it, it all adds up to that great big question of marginalisation. And I do think mental health is a major factor and a major aggravating factor in marginalising and excluding people. And I think as far as possible, 
we as professionals both in every jurisdiction need to work together to try and make sure that people get the services and support they need as quickly as efficiently as they do but i do think as well as we need service to be inclusive rather than exclusive yeah definitely because at the moment people often get bounced around between different services um and i think there's something in what you said there jerry in terms of whilst we don't necessarily want you know a separate set of provision for people that have been in contact with the criminal justice system it is important to recognize that often um you know people on probation won't be accessing services through the sort of traditional routes for a whole host of different reasons um and actually probation can provide a really important kind of point for making a difference in that sense you know that there we've got staff that can actually help to facilitate that access for people that might struggle to access services otherwise so you know I, I think there's a really important role to play there in in helping those people into mainstream provision yeah absolutely do you want to say anything more about the 2010 study that we did on training Carl? yeah can do well just um, for a bit more added context you know sure yeah so um i think going back to 2009 um the cep held a conference um, and the theme of that was around the idea of, of having like a pan-European training curriculum for probation staff. Um, and at that time, um, Charlie and I had been working with a probation practitioner called Mark Gardner um, on developing some mental health awareness training on a local level. Um, and that was rolled out across the East Midlands region of the UK using like a train-the-trainer model. And we did an evaluation of that. So we collected um, kind of pre and post data from probation staff, you know, to look at like their knowledge um, around mental illness, their confidence in working with people with mental illness and their attitudes towards mental illness um, and their practice in terms of making referrals into services. Um, And basically that evaluation was really positive. So um, we had, I think it was over 90 percent of the staff saying that they would be able to apply learning from the training to their daily practice and we were able to show um, that their knowledge had improved across all of the different kind of domains within the training um, and so had their confidence in making referrals into mental health services and we kind of concluded from that evaluation that that sort of training should really be a, a core part of any and a pan-European training for probation staff um, because you know, clearly the staff had found it to be useful. It had a positive impact. Um, it kind of normalised mental illness, you know, and, and um, helped to kind of combat some of the sort of myths and stereotypes that there can be around mental illness. Um, it helped them in terms of being able to recognise signs and symptoms of mental illness so that they could consider that in sentencing decisions and kind of day-to-day practice um, you know and increase the knowledge of how to make referrals I think um, you know we've talked about this before Charlie like on reflection we perhaps could have gone further with that you know and we might do things differently were we to do it again um, you know and, and ideally I think um, 
it's complicated, isn't it, if you think about it at a European level, because different roles for different probation systems and different sets of mental health provision in, in different areas. But ideally, I think as part of any training, you would be making those strong links with mental health services. So, you know, perhaps inviting them in to be part of the training and also having some um, kind of lived experience stuff within there as well would be good. So, you know, that's something we didn't do before, but I know in the research that I'm leading at the moment, that's definitely come through as a strong theme that lived experience should be part of any mental health training for probation staff. I think just to come in on what you're saying there, because I remember, Carl, I was one of the organisers of the 2009 event, and I think that's the importance of it. It's almost like the persistence, because it's not something you can do once and expect change to happen. It's something. This is why we're talking about it now in 2023, and we were talking about it in 2009, and we were talking about it before that as well. I think there's an importance of a degree of persistence and not giving up quite so easily. I think particularly, and you mentioned it was the CEP event, we need a, there's a common thread across most jurisdictions. Each Most jurisdictions are slightly different and different perspectives, but there's a common thread that there is a problem and there is a challenge and there is a mental health issue. And I think that's where organisations like CEP particularly come into play, because as the Confederate of European probation. We actually act, act as a network. We encourage uh, jurisdictions to talk to each other, to share expertise, to share knowledge and share learning. And I think that's where we get that common thread to actually pull the agenda along. And I do think that there is a shared agenda. And I think, Charlie, your more recent research, which was commissioned by CEP, is an example of that because in 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 2017 18 19 cep developed a, a research perspective because as you mentioned earlier we need to gather data we need to know what the issues are and one of the the, the very first topic that we chose to follow up on, on developing a research agenda and actually funding research was to do this European mental health study on competencies and skills among probation staff and addressing. And this is about bringing the ideas together on a European perspective, because everybody can get the information and then apply it in their own jurisdiction in the best way possible. But it's about creating that agenda. And I think that's why we need not just the local agenda, but we do need that wider cross-jurisdictional function. And I think, Charlie, you could say something more about that, that, that study, because I know we were, we worked together in getting it off the ground and you did hard work thereafter, both with CEP and with the Council of Europe. Because, again, Council of Europe doing a study on mental health in probation and prisons, CEP was able to go in and lobby for that kind of subject to be brought up. And again, it's about... It's about putting it on the agenda and driving the agenda as far as possible. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for that um, beautiful seg way, Gary. Absolutely brilliantly it's done. Classic ball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, we undertook a survey of practitioners working across Europe in all the jurisdictions, and that's possibly as many as 40, 50. Um, and we 
gave them to fill in electronically a questionnaire called the Mental Health Literacy Scale, which was developed in Australia and which had recently been included in a systematic review of uh, knowledge and attitude scales to mental illness. And um, these are the scores that we found. The top one is uh, the uh, knowledge of probation staff across Europe. Um, and the mean was 128. Uh, in the validation study, O'Connor and Casey found that if you were a mental health professional, you were likely to score 149. I think the top score was about 156. Um, the general population in Portugal scored marginally more than our probation staff. Christian clergy in the United States did. And this is just a whole series of other studies for the purposes of comparison. And um, police academy students in the state scored uh, 106. I could just hold the second slide for a moment. Um, we got a really good response to this survey. Um, we had over, I think, 500 responses. Um, we can go back to the response rate, actually. Thank you. Next slide. And what this slide shows you is the response rate uh, by country um, with the, that's the columns, no, sorry, the columns of the score on the mental health literacy scale and the um, round circles of the number of responses we got from each country. There's some interesting findings here. For example, the highest score of all the probation services across Europe was Northern Ireland. Now, Northern Ireland is a very particular case of a probation service. They employ something like 18 forensic psychologists working alongside probation, the kind of co-response that our Australian colleagues were talking about earlier. And um, that's, a, that's a sort of one per hundred thousand ratio for the general the number of forensic psychologists for uh, the general population if you if you turn to england england didn't participate in this study but if you turn to england we have something like one forensic psychologist for 14 million of the probation uh, for the general population and that is extraordinary higher ratio so what this shows to me here is that and Malta to some extent also employs quite a few in-house uh, forensic psychologists and had a high score what this shows to me is that you know there's something about the way that probation services are organized and that access to expertise that's really important in terms of the knowledge of mental Ill, uh, the knowledge of mental illness that probation staff have and nowhere is that more starkly um exemplified than in northern ireland i mean jerry's i'm sure very proud that islanders are so high there in comparison to all the other countries um and some some countries got some really low scores you know i mean at the bottom end of the spectrum moldova estonia turkey albania you're looking at 110, you know, you're closer to the American police academy students than you are um, anybody trying to provide a, a sort of public service. But 
this was, I think, an important finding. Jerry, do you want to comment on it? Uh, yeah, and, and I just, what I would particularly comment on is that while the average is at a particular level, I think there's a huge amount of room to improve because you would hope that probation officers would have a, a little bit more competence and confidence in working these teams because of the prevalence issue, because of the level of mental health issues, you would expect and you would hope that there was a, a maybe a, a higher level of expertise. And I think that's the challenge to us to actually improve that level of knowledge. And I think your use of the word confidence is interesting there, because as you know, we found that the higher your knowledge score, the more confident you were in working with people the mental illness and surely that's what we want we want people to be confident in their dealings with people with a mental illness and and helping them to the best of their ability i think the other issue that um we haven't kind of dwelt on at all in relation to is that very few probation services actually define what they think the role should be for the probation officer you alluded to one earlier Gary, and the one you alluded to was um, very much the one enshrined in the health strategy for the English probation, which is basically twofold. It's to recognise that a disorder exists, and it's secondly to know where to refer that person to the best service. But that assumes quite a lot, doesn't it? It assumes that you have the knowledge to do the recognition. It, assu it assumes also that you've spent some time work, working out, finding out where the local network of services are, what their referral criteria are. How do you know whether you've reached the criterion or not? Well, Coral and I published a paper earlier in the year where we suggested some measures that could be used um, when screening clients uh, at assessment to understand where those cutoff points might be uh, and there should be a conversation with local services um, about when certain cutoffs are reached, which particular service people are referred to. Do you want to say anything about that, Coral? Yeah, I mean, I think the problem at the moment is kind of the complexity of um, commissioning and provision, really. Mm. And, you know, as someone working for probation, how you navigate your way through that complexity. And I think in an ideal world, um, you would have a very clear pathway, you know, where you could say, okay, we've assessed somebody using this tool and they've scored at this level. And, you know, we know X, Y, and Z about this person's needs. And as a result of that, this is the pathway that they should take. You know, this is the form I need to complete or the process I need to follow to make a referral to service X. You know, and in a different scenario, you follow that pathway through and it leads you to service Y. You know, and then you've you've got the ability to assess the need, make an appropriate referral, and the referral goes to the right place. Um, but at the moment, you know, that doesn't always happen for a host of different reasons, you know, and I think there's there's a lot of work to be done to try to establish those pathways you know when there are different pieces of work being done to establish those pathways but we kind of need them to be simple and and straightforward to use 
you know, and like Jerry said earlier, for, for it to be a kind of open door policy, really, you know, rather than um, a really complicated set of different boxes that you have to tick to be able to access the service. You know, and even the difference at the moment between have you been to prison before you go on to probation or have you just, you know, been given a community order can make a difference to how you access services. And, you know, it's, it's a complex picture that we need to try to simplify it and give staff kind of the knowledge and the tools that they need to be able to make those connections. You know, I'm just looking... Then, I'm just looking at the time. We've got about five minutes left. What I'd quite like to do is to get a, a concluding view from each of you about what you'd like to see happen. I'm going to go first. <laughs> As you both know, I'm very taken by the um, role of the specialist probation officer in the United States and the way that intensive training in mental health is given to a subgroup of a probation service. They pick up the heavy load, as it were, of people with a serious mental illness. In doing so, they have smaller caseloads. As I say, they've got intensive training. In some services, they act as case managers. They hold a budget for accommodation uh, and other things. Um, I'm very taken with it. I'm very pleased to see at four o'clock, I'll get a chance to learn more about it with the folk from Georgia. But um, I think the other thing about the, the role of the specialist um, probation is that if you look at the states, there's a lot more reports of different training programs in mental health that have been going on, and we're accumulating those in the CEP expert group. Um, we're going to um, try and come up with uh, a composite suggestion in that group about what the core uh, European mental health training modules should look like. I mean, they've got to some very obvious basics, haven't they? What is serious mental illness? Uh, what medication are people likely to be who've got, who've got a serious mental illness? What are the other mental health disorders? What do you do in a crisis? You know, there's some very obvious headings, I think, for modules that, that we need to um, develop in terms of uh, the content. The other thing that's interesting is that the states actually evaluate their training programmes. And like Jerry said earlier, knowledge per se is not enough. Um, psychology has a concept of functional knowledge. That is knowledge that changes behaviour, is not just assumed. And we should be pursuing functional knowledge for promotion staff, which means they do different things. So over to you, too. Shall I go next? Yeah, you go next. Okay. So for me, I think it's um, coming back to what I said earlier in terms of we need to evidence the need so that we then know what sorts of services to commission and provide. I think it's also about understanding um, what really good quality mental health care for people on probation looks like. So what standards do we need to meet? And then trying to evidence whether we're meeting those standards or not. And within that, then giving probation practitioners the knowledge and the skills that they need to be able to play their part in meeting those standards, you know, so to be able to recognise the needs that people have and make those referrals and, and provide support to people, you know, so that they can comply with their probation order, you know, and um, have a chance, if you like, of rehabilitation and not being recalled into to prison, really. That would be my take. And I think, you know, mental health awareness training 
is a core part of that. Jerry, would you like to sum up the whole 40 minutes and then we'll call, we'll call it a hey, You want me to talk for 40 minutes? So that's not a problem. No, not another 40 minutes. <laughs> no, no I, I, just to highlight, I think there's a few things that have come up during the discussion there. And I was taken particularly when you were talking there about the competency and the confidence. I'm always, uh, I'm, I, I, but I'm always anxious to raise people's competence so that they have the confidence to do what they're doing. I think it's good to have competent people who are confident in doing what they're doing. I'm much more cautious about having people who are confident without the competence. And I think that's it's that partnership and that joining up ways, because it's not just about knowing what the pathways are, because I think it's important to be aware and uh, have not just, a, as you say, the functional knowledge, but the, the functional common sense to be able to keep it going because it's not a question of referring people and then standing back it has to be there has to be an ongoing support and a partnership not just a partnership with the other services because i think that's very important in their mutual support but a partnership with the person on supervision to work with them because it's it's not doing things to people it's doing things with people and I think it's that it's it's so you're looking at competency, confidence, pathways, partnerships, and you're talking about flexibility in being able to be able to respond to whatever is needed. Because sometimes it's a request, it's a require it requires radical action. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it means having the kind word at the right time. So it's about that kind of a broad range of knowledge because I don't think we're trying and I, I I appreciate what you're saying Charlie about having specialist officers but I do I don't think we're trying to make every probation officer into a, a mental health expert what we're trying to do is to give people a sufficient understanding and competence to be able to access the services and I think the one thing I would say is this is part of the, what we would perceive as the role of CEP as the network of probation organisations because just as we were talking in 2009 as Carl was saying and we're talking again in 2023 about mental health somebody has to keep the agenda warm somebody has to keep the topic on the on thing and to keep it moving because unless we've got a very open mind a challenging mind and a evolving mind that's why bodies like the council of europe become involved because it's important to everybody and again i think i'm very much looking at this on as a national and a european perspective but also you can translate it back to the local because you go back to what we're saying is how do you how do you meet those needs how do you create those needs but how do you work together so really um I think mental health is a core part of the work of the probation service. It's the core part of anybody working with people on the margins. But also, it's also a core challenge to us in how we can actually support each other in doing that. So I think it's it's about probation officers not just talking to other professionals, talking to the psychologists, but they need to be talking to other probation officers and to the prison services and to the community services. And to people on probation as well to get their exactly. perspective on, because, on what works for them and what choices they would yeah, like. Because, and I think that's a very important point because that's why I'm saying it's about not doing things to people because it's about the lived experience. The people who've, who've walked the hard yards know it best and they can help us to work to make that better for everybody. So again, there's a whole agenda there in that as well. So 
there's a lot, I think, as we frequently say in Ireland, a lot done, but a lot more to do. And I think that's, I think, I think we're on a journey. We're making progress. It may be slow. It may be frustrating. But I do think the important thing we can do with it is what I started off with, is about persistence. We have to be dogged and we have to be persistent and we have to be able to think that we can make things a little bit better with the people, for the people and for, our, for ourselves as well. So you well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you both very much. I really enjoyed that discussion. I hope that, um, you know, the international audience has as well. Back to you, Rob. You have been listening to the INCJ podcast conversations about international criminal justice to find out more go to our website at criminaljusticenetwork.net or follow us on twitter at intcj network